Welcome back to Painting the Corners and the final installment of our off-season preview series. And we have made it to the AL East, one of the best divisions, if not the best, in baseball. Everybody except the Red Sox seemingly played very well. The Orioles, most surprisingly of all, finishing above 500 for the first time in a long while and uh, almost sneaking into the playoffs. But uh, yeah, the Yankees are still the class of the division. They won 99 games last year, despite a uh, somewhat remarkable second half slide. Blue Jays also had a solid season at 92 wins. Rays snuck into the playoffs with 86. And the Red Sox in the cellar at 78 wins. Clearly the best last place team of any division, but a last place team nonetheless, which is not where the Red Sox are used to finding themselves. So uh, without further ado, let's start it off with the Yankees. Yankees the big spenders right well they're not the top dogs anymore that seems to belong to the Mets and probably the Dodgers but they're usually going to find themselves top three in payroll and that's pretty evident by the fact that they are already at an estimated 206 million dollars for 2023 that puts them at a luxury tax threshold at 222 so they're 11 oh million away from the from the first threshold already you think they're going to be able to sign Judge and Rodon for $11 million combined? Yeah, I mean, you know, if they drug them or something. But if not, <laughs> they're going to explode past that luxury tax. Easily the second one and probably even that third threshold that sits at 273 Now, obviously we know they're probably considered the favorites to get Judge. So there are some reports as of late that said that's 50-50 with them and the Giants. So we'll see if that ends up happening. It's not like they have a ton of issues, per se. Like, they have a lot of serviceable players, but they're just not a team that necessarily, especially without Judge, if they don't miss out on Judge, that really scares me. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at their projected lineup, um, and this is obviously without Judge currently. You got Stanton DHing, Rizzo at first, Torres at second, Oswald Peraza at short, Donaldson at third, an outfield of Hicks, Bader, and Oswaldo Cabrera, and Jose Trevino at catcher. They're all like just marginally solid players. Okay, I mean, Rizzo is, is good, just re-signed him. Torres had a stellar year in 2019. Obviously, we know Stanton's potential, but he's 31 now, uh, or 33, excuse me, now. And Donaldson, obviously, coming off a bad year. It's a lot of faith to put in Cabrera and Peraza, starting them every day. Hicks, they really want to get under out from under his contract. And Bader, of course, not really known for his offensive prowess, although he's been better in, in recent years. It's, yeah, as you said, not scary. Like, it's a solid lineup, don't get me wrong, but without Judge, you're really lacking that, that uh, star power, the guy that's just can carry a lineup for long stretches of time. Right, and... You compare their lineups to the other best lineups in baseball without Judge, assuming they miss out on Judge. And they don't have the studs like the Padres do, or the Dodgers do, or the Mets even to an extent. Or even, you know, the Blue Jays have, have some big thumpers in there too. I don't know. You just, even with Judge, it's a really solid lineup that is put together well. But come playoff time... You know, obviously Judge can carry, but if you don't pitch to him, there's a good chance that you can get your lineup shut down pretty easily. And that kind of played out this year in the playoffs. Yeah, they beat the Guardians, but it wasn't like they dominated a Guardians team that that won 10-plus less games than them. Or maybe they, no, not 10-plus, but, you know, they were not as good on paper by any means. I feel like even with Judge, they're not necessarily World Series favorites. Now, if they get Judge and Rodon, that's going to change a lot. Yeah, that certainly changes things. The rotation as it currently stands is Garrett Cole, Nasty Nestor, Frankie Montas, Luis Severino, and Domingo Herman, And that is already good. 
Montas struggled significantly with the team after he was acquired at the deadline, but hopefully with a uh, full normal offseason under his belt, he will report to spring training in, in good health and with his mechanics in order and can have a, a Montas-like year for the Yanks. Nestor, obviously, extremely great breakout season last year, 2.44 ERA. Big question is going to be, can he sustain that? Is the league going to figure him out? Because we know he doesn't have that super great velocity or that insane put-away pitch. So he's got to continue doing what he did last year, living on the corners and um, still baffling hitters with his windup. And then obviously, you know, you got Garrett Cole at the top of the rotation. He's going to give you 200 innings, which is incredibly valuable. ERA in the mid to low threes. And then at the back end, you got Severino, who I I didn't even realize he threw 100 innings last year at a 3.18 ERA. So that's a really encouraging sign for the Yankees, um, getting him healthy. So now that he threw 100 innings or so last year, you can count on him for pretty much a full season's work this year. And then that fifth slot, Domingo Herman, not the greatest option, but he's certainly serviceable there. You've got kind of some swing guys, Davey Garcia, that you could maybe use in that role as well. But yeah, that's already a very solid rotation. The pitching is the strength of this team, which is not really something that I kind of expect to say about the Yankees of, of recent years. But that certainly is true currently. Correct. And they've done a great job developing some guys in the bullpen as well. You know, they were without Chapman pretty much for the entirety of last year, at least when you consider what you'd expect to get out of Chapman. Um, Even when he was on the field and pitching, he was nowhere near the form that he was in the past. But they got a lot out of Clay Holmes, who teams had given up on. Same with Jonathan Loisica, Monty Peralta, and Granted, this was somewhat predictable based on his predictive stats, but Utrevino definitely had a significantly better second half once he was traded away from Oakland to the Yankees. So you look down the list at, you know, Michael Kings and the Lucas Lickie guy, Debbie Garcia, Clark Schmidt, they have a lot of good arms down there. The only thing that I wonder is with the bullpen is if they have a solid identity there in terms of a closer. I think Holmes or Loisica are good enough for sure, but maybe they go try to get a proven guy like a Kenley Jansen type. We'll see if that ends up happening or not. But if not, I think they're probably fine down there. But yeah, like you were saying, you like the rotation. The offense, you just can see a lot of inconsistencies with. Like you can see guys playing well, right? You right. can see Bader doing well. And, you know, as Waldo Cabrera could do well and right if, if that's where he plays. And, you know, Stanton can do well. Same with Donaldson has the potential. You know, are you going to trust Anthony Volpe at short? We we all know about Gleiber at this point. Same with Rizzo. And can Trevino replicate his career year? It's just a lot of question marks to me. And there's too many question marks to make me feel confident. Yeah. And I will say they have some some good depth because we haven't even mentioned DJ LeMayhew. as a Kiner Falefa as well as a backup infielder. Higashioka is a good backup catcher to pair with Trevino. And Esteban Florial is a, is a good fourth or fifth outfielder. So their bench and their platoon opportunities and their just kind of mixing and matching should be good. And that should lessen the kind of uncertainty and, you know, Oh, if Hicks falls off the table, then, you know, we'll plug in Florial or if Oswald Peraza can't handle shortstop, we'll put kind of Falefa back there, but you know, it's not, it's just not the, the certainty and the, the real like high quality options that, you'd expect from a team like the Yankees who won 99 games last year. So yeah, in terms of filling these holes offensively that we're kind of alluding to, obviously Drudge fills a massive hole, not only with lineup depth and lengthening it, but it ensures that one of Aaron Hicks or Oswaldo Cabrera doesn't start every day in the corners. And even if they get Judge to, let's say, play right field, and it's a mixture of Cabrera and Hicks and maybe even Esteban Florial out and left, I imagine that they're going to be in on a left fielder as well. Maybe bringing back Andrew Benatendi, you know, that could definitely be something I see happening. Yeah, we've heard they've have interest about that. So, you know, maybe that's their offseason. Bring both of those guys back and trust that, you know, the slew of guys that Johnny was mentioning earlier are able to figure out the shortstop position. I don't envision 
them getting a big shortstop unless they can trade IKF because they're paying him $6 million, and I don't think they're going to pay him $6 million and have Volpe and Oswaldo Peraza just kind of sit there. So, you know, look out for that if they end up going after one of the big shortstops, though I just feel like that's unlikely. I know they don't like that there. They've already mentioned that they want the stop gaps there. So we've seen the rumors, like Johnny said, with Ben Nintendi and Judge. And then you want to kind of touch on the, the Verlander, Rodon rumors that have kind of been surfacing as of late? Yeah, just recently it's kind of come out that the Yankees are prioritizing Rodon, Verlander in that kind of order and not so much so for DeGrom because of his desire to get over $40 million in AAV. Verlander would probably push 40 he'd probably be in the mid-30s range. Rodon would be less simply because he's younger and will command more years on the market. Yeah, at this point, it certainly looks like their priorities are Rodon and Verlander in terms of the rotation. And John Heyman has said that it looks like there is room to sign both Judge and a top flight starter. Right. And I think the kind of last point I want to make here on the Yankees is you mentioned the depth earlier that they have, especially in that infield. And a lot of those guys have outfield flexibility. They are a team that can sign two big contracts like that and don't necessarily have to worry about filling other holes. They can kind of run guys out there to different positions and they have the depth, like you mentioned, to do so. So a lot of teams, you know, could go after two big name guys and still have to figure out two other positions and don't have the money to do so. But I feel like the Yankees are in a fine position with the roster they have constructed to make big splashes. And they kind of have to, because the only real big one they have right now is Garrett Cole. Let's move on to the second place, Toronto Blue Jays. Coming off an interesting year, a lot of people thought they would go a little bit farther than 92 wins and a first-round exit in the playoffs. But that's where they ended up. Had somewhat disappointing seasons out of Vladdy and Bo and their kind of core guys that really looked like they were going to carry the team. And also, of course, the huge disappointment with Jose Barrios, who they obviously traded for and then extended. He put up negative war, an ERA over five, I think. You know, they kept running him out there, but he really just never figured it out. So it's going to be interesting to see what they try with their pitching coach staff uh, to see if they can get him back on track because obviously we know what he is capable of and somehow they still got pretty good production out of the rotation they've got an awesome one-two punch of Manoa and Gosman at the top they're gonna have to figure out the back end because it currently projects as Yusei Kikuchi and Mitch White who they probably are not comfortable with being their four and five in the rotation no I envision they're not and that's a clear need though they're probably going to play, like you said, in the back-end starter-type range. You know, maybe go after Jamison Tyone or someone lesser to that extent in the rotation. I think a pretty significant piece to the rotation is going to be bounce back of Jose Barrios. They need him to. They signed him to too much money for him to perform the way he did last year. And I fully expect him to bounce back. The, this might be the worst prediction I've ever had, but going into the season last year, if... If you remember, Johnny, I predicted Verrios to win Cy Young. So <laughs> and he while won Cy he Yuck. Yeah, he was literally the worst pitcher in baseball. So couldn't have been any farther from reality there. However, if he bounces back and is at least a serviceable three starter, and Kikuchi's gonna provide you innings and Mitch White can give you spot starts, same with Nate Pearson, I'm not totally dissatisfied with what they're gonna throw out there. But like you said, they need at least one more guy, in my opinion. And the question is, do they have the money to do so? You saw them already load off Teoscar Hernandez in somewhat of a questionable move in terms of production and like ability on a roster that needs to get better, not worse. He was owed $14 million, so they cleared some of that money up. They did get Eric Swanson, a very good underrated reliever from the Mariners in return, to pair with Jordan Romano and Anthony Bass towards that back end of the pretty solid bullpen. But is there enough money to make a move to upgrade the rotation and the outfield, which right now is going to run out Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Whit Merrifield in the corners? I don't know, because they're still over what they spent last year. They're at 176 for 2023, and last year they were at 175. 
Yeah, that's a big question. It's just a question of how willing the ownership group is in terms of, of pushing that payroll higher. And, you know, you would hope that they would be very willing because they have to see this offseason as an opportunity to shorten that gap, to, to uh, close that gap between them and the Yankees, especially if the Yankees miss out on Judge. But even so, you know, the Blue Jays lineup is clearly superior to the Yankees. It's the strength of this team. It has been for a couple of years now. And even without Teoscar, as you mentioned, trading him away, you're looking down this lineup, Springer, Pichette, Vladdy, Alejandro Kirk, who broke out as an all-star last year, Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen, who was very good as well, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Merrifield, Santiago Espinal. That's a top five or six that's really, really, really solid. All these guys, except for two at the bottom of the order, have slugging percentages over 400 and OBP's over 300, over 320. So that's a really solid lineup. And yes, they do play in a friendly home ballpark, but they are going to be carried by their lineup if they can get that pitcher, as you said, that would really help. The other thing, as you also mentioned, is that corner outfield situation. They've got Guriel and, and Merrifield penciled in right now in left and right. Obviously, Springer's in center. But they have uh, reportedly been open to moving Springer off center if they can acquire a guy like Brandon Nimmo. And the most important thing about Brandon Nimmo is not his ability to play center field. It's the fact that he bats left-handed because currently all nine of the projected starting hitters bat right-handed in the Blue Jays lineup. And that is not ideal, obviously. So if they can get some lefties in there, um, they have some lefties on the bench. Kevin Biggio, of course, he's been around the last few years, but getting some more balance in that lineup will be huge for the Jays. Right, and you mentioned Nimmo, and the other guy in the outfield that's been thrown around there in the Blue Jays' rumor land is Cody Bellinger, another left-handed hitter to play center field. It seems to me that they don't necessarily fancy any of the right fielders or left fielders available, and I understand why. After you get past Aaron Judge, if you want a solid guy who can play every day, you're pretty much looking at a small few of the Andrew Benintendi, David Peralta, A.J. Pollock, Adam Duvall, Profar and Mitch Haniger. I mean, after that, you're getting to a lot of more platoon type guys. So I don't love any of those fits for this lineup whatsoever. And that's why I think you see the aggressiveness towards a center fielder like a Nimmo or a Cody Bellinger. And even a Kevin Kiermaier could fit that mold, though I feel like they might want a little more offensive approach. So we'll see what ends up happening there for sure. But I, I definitely like that play. And moving Springer to right field, we know his defense plays there. So that could be a pretty elite defensive outfield with a Nimmo Bellinger, Nimmo or Bellinger with Springer in right and a mixture of Lourdes Gurriel and Whit Merrifield in left. Yeah, no, that would be outstanding for them. But as you said, and that's the question, the money is the question because at this point it's hard to say which is more of a priority, a left-handed bat or a starter because the lineup is the strength, but the lineup would be so much stronger if you could add a potent left-handed bat to break up Vladdy and Bichette and Springer, uh, all those righties at the top of the lineup. But then at the same time, the, the starting rotation would be so much stronger if you could get a number three in there and and pair that with uh, Barrios behind Gosman and Manoa. So we'll see. I hope the Blue Jays can step up in the payroll department or else get creative with a trade. Their bullpen, as you already said, touched on a little bit, Looks pretty solid. Jordan Romano had a great year, 36 saves in ERA, just over two. And Swanson, who they acquired, of course, very solid as well. Bullpen shouldn't be too much of a problem. It's not overpowering, but it's not a weakness either. No, it's not. And you mentioned, to kind of backtrack a little bit here, you mentioned them having to get creative with trades. And the one area of deep depth and strength that they do have to trade from is that catcher position. Their three catchers right now are Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk, and Gabriel Moreno. Moreno is a top, top catching prospect, and we know the type of all-star season Alejandro Kirk had last year. Danny Jansen just about matched that, and to have three catchers of this strength, that's a pretty solid trade piece. Danny Jansen's making the most money, so if they need to make a little financial flexibility, they could go that route. I wonder if they can find a team that has a starter 
that they'd be willing to do a one-for-one swap or, you know, one-for-two swap, throwing a minor leaguer type of deal to get rid of probably a Mourinho or Jansen because if they're able to, I don't know, maybe with the Guardians or, you know, whoever it may be, Cardinals, teams who have some good pitching depth, that could be a fit because the Blue Jays could fill that pitching role via trade and then use money they have to then go after that right field, center field option. Oh, absolutely. I think there's really no question about it that one of those catchers is going to be traded. And how's this for a, a trivia question? Who in the projected lineup that I just mentioned a few minutes ago had the highest slugging percentage last year? Wasn't Vladdy at 480. Wasn't Bo Bichette at 469. Wasn't Springer at 472. Danny Jansen slugged 516 last year. Wow. That is out of nowhere. And there are sure as heck not a lot of catchers that slug 516, especially with a 339 OBP. The dude hit 260. That is insane production out of the catcher position. No, it really, really is. And we'll see if the Blue Jays utilize that to their favor this this offseason to maybe acquire a piece here or there. So let's swing on down south to the team that has made the most recent addition to their squad in the Tampa Bay Rays. And that addition, of course, is coming in the form of Zach Eflin. And we will definitely get into that a little bit more here during this 10-minute breakdown on them. But the Rays, such an interesting team to break down because somehow they just put together a bunch of seemingly random guys and (laughs) they win 85 games minimum every year. Seems like it, yep. And uh, I would honestly qualify 2022 as a bit of a disappointment for the Rays. 86 wins. They probably envisioned themselves um, closer to the 90 win mark. And of course, getting bounced in the first round by the Guardians was not in the plans. But they still have a lot to look forward to this year. Number one being Tyler Glasnow returning from surgery. He came back at the very end of last year, pitched in the playoffs. If he's at full strength, that's a huge boost to their rotation. And, you know, for the first time in kind of years, their rotation is is a rotation. It's not like openers and bulk guys and swing guys and, you know, Ryan Yarbrough and that kind of group. They got real starters. They got Shane McClanahan, top three Cy Young. They've got Glasnow. Drew Rasmussen pitched extremely well last year in 28 starts at an area under three. Zach Eflin, who they just acquired, we just talked about that, and Jeffrey Springs, who made 25 starts last year. It's a real rotation. Who would have thought? I know, and it's crazy you say that, because I I honestly didn't even put two and two together there. But yeah, now with the addition of Eflin, and they have depth behind it. So that's something that's kind of fun, for sure, because they look like a little bit more real, real organization in terms of following status quo there. So... Yeah, it's 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 great, and it always makes fans across baseball wonder, well, who are they going to trade away now? But right. I genuinely don't think they are. I think that they are committed to spending a little bit more money than usual. Last year, they finished the season at $86 million, and this year they're already at $78 million, so could they do nothing else and probably still make the playoffs? Totally. You know, Zach Eflin's probably going to have a career year. doesn't mean he's going to be a Cy Young guy, but he's probably going to have an ERA better than he's ever had, though that seems somewhat predictable. However, you know, they're only paying Glasnow for another two years. Wander Franco, obviously they have locked down for another 10. But other than that, no one else is making a significant amount of money besides Manuel Margot. So this race team has money to spend, and it's kind of – proven that they're interested in spending some money this offseason based on the guys they're contacting um obviously due diligence is a thing and it's tough to read too much into the guys that they have talked with or talked about but we know that they have interest in brandon nimmo who's gonna garnish something near 100 million we also know that they've been in contact with jacob freaking Degrom, though that seems unlikely they clearly have some sort of interest there and they wouldn't have interest if 40 million a year was way out of the way um and we also know on the trade market sean murphy though that's less of a financial impact but is this the year that the rays maybe get to 100 million in payroll i don't know i mean i'm kind of worried what if having a normal rotation like breaks them down and they they don't know what to do with themselves and they only win 75 games no um (laughs) they'll be they'll be fine 
it's it's amazing how they how they keep doing it. You know, everybody is always befuddled. I will say, you know, on the trade front, there's no way they keep Glasnow for all the next two years. I doubt they trade him at the deadline this year because they're going to be in it. But I would be not surprised at all if they trade him next offseason because he will have a $25 million payroll in 2024. And even for the new big spender Rays who almost get to $100 million, I don't think 25 uh, for one player is is in their budget. So that'll be an interesting story to follow at the tail end of next season. But yeah, I mean, they're already in a decent spot. The rotation, as we said, looks great. Their bullpen, you know, is always going to be on point. They've got Pete Fairbanks back there, 1.13 ERA. Jason Adam, 1.56. J.P. Fireisen didn't allow a single earned run in 24 and a third innings last year. He set the record, actually. That's the record for the most innings without allowing a run in a season. So, yeah, their bullpen is fine. Don't even need to get through all the names there. Um, and that's even with missing Andrew Kittredge, who had been their, well, they don't really have a closer, but one of their high leverage guys had TJ. He's out, unfortunately. But And then another guy off with injury, Shane Baz. That was a big blow to them last year. Top prospect, first rounder. He's out with TJ as well. But the pitching staff... The depth is incredible. They're still going to be uh, a top five pitching staff in the league probably next year, top 10 at the very least. The lineup is clearly the question mark. They did struggle a little bit scoring runs last year, but at the same time, they've got dudes. I mean, and not dudes in the traditional sense, but Wander Franco is a dude. Randy Rosarena is a dude. Andy Diaz had a great year last year. Brandon Lau did not have a great year, but he's had... Good years in the past. They have him locked up on a cheap contract for a while. Manny Margot is finally kind of turning the corner offensively, becoming kind of what was envisioned when he was signed as an international guy way back in 2011. Uh, he hit 274, 325 OBP, 375 slug, a very respectable line. Jonathan Aranda, another international signee. They have got good hopes for him. The big hole currently is at the catcher position for the Rays because Christian Bethencourt is currently penciled in there, guy they acquired from Oakland at the deadline. And while he actually did fairly decent last year, that's not a guy that you uh, want to entrust, you know, 600 plate appearances to. No, and he'll be partnered with Francisco Mejia back there, but same type of deal. Do you really entrust him with even 400 plate appearances throughout the season, and to manage the pitching staff. Probably not, though you would probably trust Bethancourt. However, we also know that, while I mentioned earlier, they're interested in Sean Murphy. They were also in on the Jose Abreu sweepstakes, so there's a clear interest in upgrading that first base position as well, which I also understand. So we'll have to see what they end up doing. It feels likely that they will go the trade route because we know that their prospects are sought after every team and they have a loaded system every year so getting a sean murphy makes a lot of sense they will have some competition for sure and it's with teams that have deep farm systems as well such as the cardinals and the guardians but we'll see if that comes to fruition and i don't see them being able to acquire any of the toronto blue jays catchers like we mentioned earlier but we'll have to wait and see on that and maybe they go after a josh bell too you know to fill that first base hole if they like that switch hitting ability to lengthen the lineup. So we'll have to wait and see on that for sure. But the good thing is with the Rays, you're confident that they have random guys that will perform and fill these holes if need be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just looking even more at the lineup, Harold Ramirez, who's currently slotted in at at DH, got him from a trade, very minor trade with Chicago, the Cubs at the beginning of the season. And he put up a 300 batting average with a 404 slugging last year. Just completely out of nowhere. In 435 plate appearances, too. Almost a full year worth. Or at least, you know, well over half a year. Their player development, we know, is just outstanding on the pitching and hitting side. We've we've pretty much covered all the bases here. The rotation's going to be great. The bullpen's going to be great. The lineup is a question mark. It's not that deep, but... They're still being aggressive. You know, if they offered that money to Jose Abreu, they're going to be probably spending it on somebody else in that lineup. And the great thing also is they're so versatile. 
they can really go out and get anybody. We've mentioned this with a couple teams. They can go get a first baseman, as you mentioned, and they can get a third baseman. They can get a left fielder. They've got guys all over the field that can move around and accommodate new additions. No, that is very, very true. So we'll see what ends up happening with with the Tampa Bay Rays this offseason. It'll always be an interesting offseason with them. And speaking of a team that can have a pretty interesting offseason, that would be that of the Baltimore Orioles. Now, who would have thunk it? Orioles can really start to kind of push forward here after a successful, very, very successful year last year. We're in the playoff race for that final wildcard spot pretty much up until the last week and a half of the season and didn't really show signs of slowing down even after trading their all-star closer and clubhouse leader and first baseman Trey Mancini away at the deadline. So there's definitely some hopes for them to progress even further. It definitely helps though when you have a guy like Adley Rutschman coming up through your system, Gunnar Henderson over at third, young studs coming up through your system to lead the way. What can the Orioles do now this offseason to supplement these guys? Well, I think their first priority is going to be in the rotation. I think that's pretty clear because currently their rotation consists of Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Austin Voth, and Grayson Rodriguez. And if you've heard of more than two of those guys, that's pretty good because I've barely heard of these guys and you know we are pretty into this kind of stuff. Kyle Bradish did not have a good year last year, ERA about five, but Kramer broke out in 125 innings, had an ERA of 3.23. Wells and Voth were serviceable, but not great. And Grayson Rodriguez is a top prospect, uh, first rounder, 11th overall back in 2018. So he's got huge upside, throws hard, and could certainly be an X factor in that rotation. But as it stands, a lot of question marks there. That is certainly where they have the most opportunity to improve. And that's why we've been mentioning them in the DeGrom, Verlander, Rodon sweepstakes, even though you might not think of them, you know, based on their spending over the last few years in that category. We know they've spent at that level before. They handed out that huge contract to Chris Davis. They have, you know, played in those kind of markets before, and now is certainly the time to do that again. They have said they will increase payroll coming off an outstanding year. This is definitely the time for the Orioles to be aggressive, and it starts in the rotation. Totally, and you mentioned that payroll. Last year they ended at $63 million, and now that they've cleared a little bit, little bit of that up, they're down to 41 at this moment, and it's pretty safe to say they're going to probably get close to at least doubling that, getting in the 80s range, maybe closer to the 100, because they're not, they're not a huge market, but they're definitely not a small, small market team. And the only player that they have with a guaranteed contract right now is John Means. And it's funny because he's not necessarily the stereotypical guaranteed contract. He had Tommy John, and he's not going to pitch much at all next year, if any, if he's able to rehab soon enough. So the contract they gave him was more of a lock you down through years one and two of ARB. And when this contract is up, he still has another year of arbitration with the club. So they really have nobody down through a contract signed outside of their own ARB guys, which is great. It's great for them because that means they have the money to spend. And you mentioned the rotation. There was some hope and thought, mostly by me, that they might go after some of the big dogs in the offseason and maybe even someone on that second tier of a Nathan Eovaldi, but it doesn't even sound like they're comfortable spending that much. And maybe it's more so they feel like they should do that in future years rather than this year. But it sounds like um, according to some of their field reporters down in Baltimore, that they're going to be targeting guys in that more second-ish tier, slightly lower than Eovaldi, that will command a little less money, like the Jamison Tyone, Chris Bassick, Taiwan Walker realm, because they would rather supplement their rotation than have an ace and then a bunch of unknowns, like Johnny was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I think another guy that we didn't talk too much about It'll be interesting to see how his transition to the rotation goes is D.L. Hall. He's their number fourth prospect, according to Baseball America, and they're planning on moving him to the rotation next year. He did struggle out of the bullpen, though also rookie year, different 
or seen than he's used to. Not a reliever by any means throughout his minor league and collegiate career. So that'll be very interesting to see how D.L. Hall does next year in the rotation. But like you said, they got to find some way to get innings out there while also adding some sort of bat, whether that's a designated hitter, first base, corner outfield. They've kind of been rumored in all of those realms this offseason. Yeah, as you said, with the all the dudes in arbitration, this is such a fun time to be the GM of the Orioles. This is exactly how you draw it up. You know, when you when you talk about a rebuild and you pitch it to your owner, you say, okay, you know, we're going to be bad for a couple of years, but we're going to get some high draft picks. We're going to spend some money in the international bonus pool. And in two or three years, these guys are going to come up. They're going to start being good. Our team's going to be a little more competitive. And then at that point, all our guys are going to be nice and young and cheap. And at that point, we can go spend on some free agents and really round out the roster. And that's exactly what happened. Because it's so funny now, like when we're talking about the Orioles and like how promising they are. In just last episode, we were talking about the Royals and the Tigers and how their rebuilds completely flopped. We were talking about this last offseason, going into the 2022 season. Would we have said that the Orioles were in any better shape than the Royals and the Tigers? I mean, you could argue that they slightly were, but not not by much by any means. Not enough to warrant such a separation in where they are now and going into the year 2023. It feels like the Orioles are about to take the next step towards playoff contention and the Tigers and Royals are taking the next step towards another three, four-year rebuild. Exactly, exactly. And that's just the difference between probably, you know, Cedric Mullins panning out kind of a later career breakout, and then all of their prospects seem to hit. Boom, Rutschman comes up, dominates. Henderson comes up, does great. Even guys like Austin Hayes, who came up a couple years ago, kind of finding his form. Anthony Santander, another later career breakout guy. Ryan Mountcastle, who they called up a couple years ago, good piece. Just really, like, guys have come up and just been productive. And it's a credit to their player development, for sure. Their scouting and and, uh, uh, international and and homegrown scouting departments, for sure. And it's really good to see that formula come to pass because, as we've seen from the, the Tigers, the Royals, even, like, you know, the Pirates have been stuck in their rebuild for a while. So it's nice to see another team really succeed in that and great, obviously, for the fan base that they're starting to turn the corner now. Hopefully they can get probably two major league caliber starting pitchers and an established hitter, push that payroll to $100 million and, you know, look at 2023 as realistic playoff hopes. Yeah, it should be a really fun offseason. And, you know, we haven't really talked about too many of the hitters they've been rumored around. And mostly because the Orioles' rumors have less been specific players and more kind of ideas behind what they want to do. But one can imagine that they'll be in the, you know, speculatively speaking, Michael Brantley, Cody Bellinger, Andrew Benintendi, Conforto, Josh Bell realm you know like johnny said kind of the corner guys maybe yeah if they go the bellinger route i I think that would be more of a hope that he pans out to be more than anything and they'll find a way to figure out him and mullins for sure because if bellinger returns to any sort of his form then that's a win for them but yeah they can definitely play in those corner power hitting type markets and it could play out really well for them next year if they can even if they can improve a couple wins, I think that's a win because they definitely got more wins than I think they should have. Right. So if they can just improve by a few wins and have more money to spend to make some big splashes next year, I think the Orioles are in a phenomenal position. Yeah, I totally agree actually with what you said about the wins because it's kind of like uh, the Mariners from last year. The Mariners in 2021 won 90 games kind of out of nowhere. You know, they had arrived a year early and they were like, yeah, you know, great. They went out and signed Robbie Ray, made some other moves in the offseason, Winker, Suarez, etc. And they're like, wow, you know, we're going to get 95 wins this year. We're really going to be a, a, a super, super good team and challenge the Astros for the division. And then it was kind of disappointing when they won 90 games again. But you look back at that 21 team and you think, OK, you know, that really probably was an 82 win team or an 83 win team. And. You know, you saw it. They won probably, I think they won more one-run games than anyone else in the league. They had a lot of comeback wins. It just wasn't 
you know, it was a lucky season and that's not taking anything away from them. I'm just saying that to win 90 games this year really was an improvement. They had a better team this year than they did last year. And that's exactly what Baltimore is going to be up against next year. If they win another 83 games, it's going to be a disappointing season, even though it's probably their team will improve. It's just uh, you can't bank on that luck every year. No, you definitely cannot. But I will say this. As of right now, this is going to be a team that I'm going to love watching next year. Probably the most exciting team in baseball. Gunnar Henderson, this kid is just so much fun to watch. And Adley genuinely could be the best catcher in baseball at year's end of 2023. So, And he honestly might be a top three catcher already in baseball, which is kind of crazy to think about. Wouldn't argue with you, yeah. So that's going to be a fun, fun team to watch. So we look forward to watching them. And somehow we've made it to the fifth place team. And it's the Boston Red Sox. And there does not seem to be a ton of hope from Bloom and what's already transpired this offseason. Because do you want to tell our viewers why the article titled Rays Go Out and Sign Zach Eflin is under the Red Sox category? (laughs) Well, that's because the Red Sox thought they had an agreement with Eflin. They offered him three years, $40 which is what he got from the Rays. And Eflin said, yeah, it's a good offer. Let me talk it over. And what he did was he went to the Rays and he said, hey, I'm a hometown Floridian. I would love to play in Florida. No state taxes here. Uh, no no income tax here. And uh, can you match this offer? And they said, yeah, sure. And so he signed with the Rays. And as uh, Jared Carabas, the Red Sox beat reporter, said on Twitter, there used to be a time when playing for the Red Sox meant more than the lack of state income tax and, and playing in your home state. And that's just kind of the spot where the Red Sox are in right now. Coming off a last place finish, they've had a pretty poor record when it comes to player relations over the last few years. The Mookie Betts whole saga, trading him away, unable to extend Xander Bogarts, still unable to extend Rafael Devers. I don't know what it is, but... Something about that front office, they're just not really on the same page with their players, and they're paying the price for it. No, they really, really are. And they're starting to move into not quite a laughing stock area, but they're definitely one of the teams you look at and are just like, what are you doing? Because I don't think the exact figures came out on the Xander Bogarts extension offer, but I mean, my gosh, was it a low ball and a half? There's a good chance he gets double that. And the ironic thing, about this whole thing as well, is if you recall, back in the day when John Lester was a Boston Red Sox, obviously he didn't finish his contract year with them, but come offseason, they offered him a deal. It comes out later that when he accepted the deal from the Cubs, it was doubled what the Red Sox offered them. So for whatever reason, the Red Sox are really into lowballing guys, and (laughs) I don't know if it's a trend per se, because that was obviously, what, seven, eight years ago, but... Point being, the Red Sox relationships with players continue to get worse, like you said. And that might be one of the most important things come baseball. Even if you have to overpay occasionally, if you want players to come to you, you have to show that you have a track record of making players want to play for your organization. And somehow or another, the Red Sox went from 2013 and prior to being able to do that to now they really can't yeah and it's uh i don't know i don't know exactly what it is obviously we're not on the inside hearing these conversations but very surprising kind of fall from grace and they're only five years removed six years removed no five years removed from winning the world series so they still should be you know you would think occupying that position of a a vaunted storied franchise but apparently not Apparently not. So getting into the actual kind of a player roster here perspective, it's still, you know, a decent roster. You've got some good hitters in the lineup. Devers obviously will anchor that in story as well in the middle of the order. Verdugo is a nice piece, although unfortunately he hasn't really reached the potential that they probably thought they were getting in that bets trade. Um, And then the first base situation is very interesting because They got Eric Hosmer from the Padres at the deadline last year, but 
he is sort of blocking Tristan Casas, who is their top prospect, first rounder from 2018. Um, I know they want to get him some good opportunities to, you know, show them what he's made of and show them that he is a a quality major leaguer. So that's going to be an interesting storyline there. Outside of those guys, Kike Hernandez had a tough year last year, uh, was hurt for parts of it and wasn't really effective when he was on the field. Christian Arroyo, Reese McGuire, Rob Refsnyder, those are obviously areas of potential upgrades, second base, catcher, and in the corner outfield. They've got a lot of work to do if they want to compete in that division because we know it's it's a tough division. Yeah, and they're way behind the eight ball in so many areas. I mean, even looking at the rotation right now, losing out on Zach Eflin kind of proves that they're not satisfied with what they have. And in kind of an interesting contract that they had set up with Paxton, he ended up opting in to stay. Well, he's coming off a year where he didn't pitch whatsoever, and he's currently slotted in to be their fifth starter. They're pushing Garrett Whitlock to the rotation full-time. Obviously, they got one of their top young guys in Brian uh, Bellow. Chris Sale, obviously, is coming back, but can you count on him to stay on the field? And I think the most consistent presence is Nick Pavetta, but he's no one to write home about. So, I don't know. I mean, they're clearly looking to add to the rotation, and they clearly have a lot of money to spend, given their payroll last year was in the $220 million range, and right now they're sitting at 130 So, they have the money. What are they going to do with it? Arguably, most importantly, would that be to ex- extend Devers? I think that's a fair argument. Yeah, I think that is definitely a fair argument. I think the ship has probably sailed on the Bogarts reunion idea. It just doesn't look like he really wants to go back. But yeah, if they could extend Devers, that would be great. Him and him and Story on the left side of the infield for the next five or so years would be solid for the Red Sox. That'd be a great, great thing to build around. But what they really need to do is fill out the the rest of the roster, get a good starting pitcher, hopefully an ace kind of caliber starting pitcher to pair with sale at the top of the rotation, and then really work on that position player depth could swing a trade for a catcher could go after one of those kind of marginal second base can second baseman, maybe an Adam Frazier type to platoon with Christian Arroyo. Um, And then that corner outfield, they could definitely stand to upgrade there. I haven't heard anything about a Benintendi reunion. I don't know if they're really going to push that kind of envelope with the corner outfield, but there's definitely places to improve and there's definitely money to spend. So I wouldn't completely count them out. No, and you can't. The funny thing is, and you mentioned maybe going after an ace-level guy for that rotation. And while that may make sense, um, if you remember, probably right in the first couple of days of the offseason, reports came out that Chair Bloom was not going to do that this offseason. Rather, he was going to wait for the next offseason to do something like that in the rotation. So hmm. they're clearly looking to just kind of fill the back end and get some innings this year. You know, obviously, like you said, it's a really tough division. And to me, it just feels like they don't see themselves winning it, and all they're trying to do is at least put a product on the field that will put fans in the stands for a majority of the season. But we'll see. I mean, John Heyman also says that he thinks they're the front runners for Bogarts, though he's not necessarily the most reliable guy in the world when it comes to rumors. We'll have to wait and see, but, you know, do they need to get Bogarts? Not necessarily, because they have story to play short now for the next couple of years, which is fine. He's great shortstop. But if you miss out on Bogarts, it kind of feels like there's no one really else to match his level of production other than one of the top, top guys. And it doesn't sound like they're going to go after anyone like that. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking about starters they could add. A reunion with Native Aldi doesn't seem completely off the table, although personally, I don't think he's that great of a fit. Flyball pitcher, he got bit at Fenway multiple times last year by the home run ball. Pavetta's kind of in the same boat. They can't do anything about that. So Eflin would have been a great fit, ground ball pitcher. He probably would have thrived in Fenway. But unfortunately for them, Massachusetts has state income tax, so he will be pitching for the Rays. <laughs> but I know um, we haven't really talked about the bullpen. They've got Matt Barnes at closer. He's not... The most reliable option had an ERA over four last year. Tanner Hook is 
the right-handed version of Chris Sale out of the bullpen. He was great last year. Schreiber was great. Uh, they just signed Joel, Joely Rodriguez away from the Mets as a lefty in that bullpen. Uh, they don't really have too many lefty options there, so they're hoping for a rebound season for him after he posted an ERA in the mid-fours. Other than that, not too many guys. Cutter Crawford is kind of on the rise. Great name. I bet he throws a cutter. But, yeah, not not a dominant pen at all. Kind of lacking in both depth and in uh, really power arms up there at the top of the bullpen. Yeah, just feels like they're in a tough spot and kind of by their own doing. But this division is going to have four good teams for the foreseeable future. And the Red Sox might be that odd team out here. So they'll have to do something pretty significant to be in contention. But if they are and they spend the money in the next few years, this division will be the best division in baseball probably for the next three or four years. So be fun fun to watch for sure. So all right, so we got two two things of breaking news to bring to you just before the episode ends. One is of the Boston Red Sox. They did upgrade in that bullpen, agreeing on a two-year, $17 million and a half dollar contract for Chris Martin. So that is going to help that bullpen that we just talked about. But Wow, great timing for the, the Red Sox, yeah. Right, but the bigger news. Colton Wong is on the move to the Milwaukee Brewers, but not for prospects. It's going to be for outfielder Jesse Winker and somewhat recently acquired Mariner Abraham Toro. So, wow. If you stuck around this far, you just got to hear some breaking news on pod back-to-back. Pretty crazy. Hang on, I want to do some breakdown on this. I really like that Wong trade uh, for the Brewers, actually, because anytime you're in the Brewers position, you're trying to kind of pinch pennies, and you can acquire two players for one who are both projected to be useful players. That's a huge add for them. Toro, I mentioned earlier in the Mariners segment, I think he's a a big bounce-back candidate. And uh, Winker as well, coming off a poor year, but has shown promise in the past. That's an interesting trade. The Mariners fill in their second-base void with the left-handed bat that they were looking for, and uh, the Brewers get a little bit of depth there, try to fill two holes with one trade. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. And then going back to the Red Sox, we we're just talking about their bullpen. $17.5 million for Martin over two years. The reliever market, we knew right off the bat with the Diaz deal, with the Montero deal as well. It's it's going to be big. And uh, props to Martin for getting his money. And he will certainly help out the Red Sox at the back end of their bullpen. Wow, right before the winter meeting kick off, guys. This is getting, getting to the fun stuff. So, all right. Thank you guys again. And we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Hey guys, it's Johnny again with some more post-recording news. If you were listening to our NL Central breakdown, you may have heard that Kyle Gibson signed with the Orioles. So uh, we mentioned that with regards to the Pirates since he had been connected to them. But the Orioles have signed starting pitcher Kyle Gibson to a one-year deal. And that fills exactly the role that I said they needed to fill, get an experienced starter in that rotation. Hopefully they can land at least one more. The uh, O's are looking to turn the corner in 2023.